Welcome, everybody, to Our Community, Our Mission. This is Barry Feeker with the Topeka Rescue Mission, and this is a weekly update podcast of the rescue mission and what the latest happenings are. So thank you for joining us again. I believe this is our third edition of Our Community, Our Mission, and uh, you can hear it every Thursday when it comes out on either your computer, on your device. It's on Apple Podcasts as well as Google and so uh, today, um, I'm going to have as a guest here today, Jessica Hossman, who is our Director of Trauma-Based Initiatives in the Children's Palace at Topeka Rescue Mission. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, thank you. Uh, so, uh, Jessica, you have been with the Rescue Mission just about 10 years right now. That is correct. And uh, tell us just a little bit. Uh, you didn't come in here as the Director of Trauma-Based Initiatives in the Children's Palace because we didn't have either one of those, but how did you get in Topeka? Kansas. You didn't, you didn't start here. That's right, Barry. I grew up in Pennsylvania and spent most of my adult life in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, working um, both in the mental health field and social services, primarily working with individuals that were homeless. Um, one of the things I loved was some volunteer work I did every week for seven years, downtown Pittsburgh, reaching out to unsheltered homeless persons and um, just loved every aspect of it. Well, uh, long story short, I was on my way to permanently reside in Mozambique, Africa and God had some other plans. So he flipped some things upside down, ended up highlighting Topeka, Kansas on a map um, through a um, series of events that could probably only be explained by saying it was God. Mm -hmm. And uh, my husband and I ended up finding ourselves here for about three days, um, had very little free time during that time. It was a very scheduled time frame. And um, on a dare, um, he told me that I should call up the head of the Topeka Rescue Mission and ask for an interview because I had felt clearly that God had said a week prayer that he was going to move us to Topeka, Kansas. And so I took that dare and I called you up. And my understanding is that you tried your best to pawn me off on I someone did. else that I day. Did. didn't have time and for you. no one else was <laughs> available. And so what you thought was just a tour for some gal from Pennsylvania ended up turning into somewhat of a job interview, which you kindly told me. Um, well, good luck. Mm -hmm. um, if you Sorry. end up in Kansas one day, give me a call, but we certainly don't have any jobs for you. Don't have any openings, don't have anything mm -hmm. that you would fit right now, but if you end up here, call me. So three days later, we had found a house or an apartment, put down that deposit, found a church home. And I called you and said, well, we'll be there in 30 days or less. And you shared that um, you felt strongly that the Lord was saying that I was supposed to come on board after all. And God supernaturally provided from there. I know I came on just serving um, administratively. And from there, seeing the rescue mission grow quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I remember in those times, it was really... Um, Shelter, shelter and food. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I've seen a lot of new programs be birthed over these past 10 years, which have been awesome, which have been God inspired, which have been used to reach out beyond the walls of the shelter and really help a tremendous amount of people. And it's kind of fun to see how God has taken us full circle. And 
that was all for the purpose that the Lord has for our community. And it seems that he's bringing it around back to the core again. So, so Jessica, you weren't new to rescue mission work. Correct. Uh, you were coming from Pennsylvania, working in the Washington PA rescue mission. That's correct. Um, and so you directed programs there mm-hmm. for families. Um, we had two small shelters. We had a total capacity of 98 between mm-hmm. our men's shelter and then our shelter for women and families. And so I oversaw both of those shelters. So just real briefly, uh, it's a whole other story about Africa, but you were on your way to Mozambique. You'd already been there before. Yes. So what were you going to go do that uh, was going to be something that was going to put you there permanently, you thought? Sure. Well, I was involved with a missions organization whose hub was in Pemba, Mozambique, Iris Global, and um, had served at some different locations, and God had just opened up a door for me to be able to be there long-term and permanently. So I had uh, sold all my belongings, quit my job, um, had housing set over up there in the in the mission's house, and um, had my tickets bought. And at the last minute, God told me, stop. And that was a pretty big step of faith because you were headed there, excited yeah, about going absolutely. there. And then he says, no, I'm not going to send you to the mission field of Mozambique. I'm going to send you to Topeka, Kansas. Absolutely. Had you ever been to Topeka, Kansas prior to that time that you came in and we met? I had never even heard of Topeka, <laughs> Kansas, Barry. <laughs> so, yeah, I did try to pawn you off. Uh, I remember getting the call from you when you were at the Washington PA mission. And it was going to be cool to meet somebody from another mission, which I do for every once in a while. They'll come into Topeka. Topeka, uh, but I didn't have time and I couldn't find anybody that wanted to give you a tour. So I ended up giving you a tour and uh, um, I really began to sense, even though we didn't have a job opening, that there was a assignment for you here. And, and God definitely has uh, brought that about in such amazing ways. As you said, you came in administratively, but some of the things that we began to learn and we were asking the question is, what is the real opportunity that God has given us to minister to people beyond shelter and food? Not that that's the only thing that we ever did up to that point, but we began to say, Lord, what other things are we supposed to be doing, which then would eventually lead into the Highcrest neighborhood, mm-hmm. would lead to partnering to develop a program called Doxazo, expand our work programs, uh, learning about human trafficking, and uh, there was a real passion on your heart um, mm-hmm. as you were getting into this after a number of years. And what was that passion? Well, the passion is to breathe hope into the lives of people that I come in contact with, is to show them the love of Jesus and help them understand that they're not alone yeah. and that there's hope for their future. And maybe uh, everybody, but maybe even especially the little ones. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so um, you went back to Mozambique. And um, I remember uh, that was kind of a rough trip. Uh, there was a drought and all kinds of things. And and uh, you were living in some pretty difficult situations. And you had uh, Zachariah, your son, with you. Then two-year-old son. Two-year-old in Africa. <laughs> and um, the stories there were pretty horrendous of poverty and suffering. And I remember you coming back and I said, okay, what did you learn while you were there? Um, and you, I remember you staring ahead. You had so many things running through your mind, but do you remember what you told me you learned? You don't. <laughs> I was like putting her on the spot. There are so many things yeah, that I so learned. I, I'm, about the moms and the yes, kids. and the single and, moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and being so burdened with those children. Definitely. Well, that was a, a big primary uh, reason, I think, that the Lord allowed me to go in that season. So that would have been 
six years ago now, um, and it was about this time of year, six years ago, we went for five weeks, my son and I, and um, the location, the base that we went to, I had personally never been to before. So it was a different city and it was a different climate. And um, I had my two-year-old, which of course I had only ever gone as a single individual. And Mm -hmm. even though I was married when I returned to Mozambique, because it was just me and my son, it was as if I was a single mom during that trip. And my heart had always been to get back to Mozambique. I always had a dream Um, whether it was in Mozambique or another nearby country in Africa, I always had a passion and a dream to start a orphanage of sorts for kids that were orphaned um, and homeless and absolutely had no other supports and no other supports in that, in that region. And so I really thought that this adventure with my two-year-old could be a stepping stone um, into seeing that dream become a reality. And when I got over there, um, as you mentioned, it was intense. Um, There was a drought. Um, There was also um, some elections going on. And as a result of that, there were a lot of riots going on, Mm -hmm. which cut off um, the imports into the city. Um, The government, even though the area was set up for electricity and water, the government cut off the electricity and the water sources for our base um, for conservation. And so it was definitely different than anything I had ever experienced. And here I have this two-year-old who, if you've ever been on the continent of Africa, Um, Any time you're going to visit a country in Africa and be in what's called the bush, um, there's going to be dirt and a Mm -hmm. lot of it. Mm -hmm. And the dirt, it's like a red sand almost. And my son refused to walk in this dirt um, because all he had was sandals and it would get stuck between his feet. So my two-year-old ended up kind of living on my back as the mama's wear their babies on their backs, um, and Capilanas, uh, that's how he lived for those five weeks. And so it's about 90 degrees with about 95% humidity, mm-hmm. no water, even to wash your hands. It's on the Indian Ocean. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Down in that area. So mm-hmm. lots of humidity. Yes. Um, no running, no running water, no, no toilets. Um, so uncomfortable and two year old on my back. And I kept thinking, Lord, um, when are we going to get to the real reason why I'm here. When are we going to get this vision started for the future and see all these dreams come true? Well, it didn't happen. And so when that time frame was up, I was pretty distraught when I came back to America because nothing happened the way that I thought it would when I was over there. And that stare that you saw when you asked me when I came back was because it was a season where I had not yet wrapped my head around everything. So as I got back and started really praying into my time over there, what the Lord showed me was the empathy within my heart that he developed for the single moms that we have living at the Hope Center here at the Topeka Rescue Mission. And even though living circumstances in Mozambique, Africa, are very different than Topeka, Kansas, or most cities here in America, I sensed 
in a, I sensed in a way what it would be like for our moms, because just like I was in a foreign country uh, with my son, didn't know anybody, hadn't really learned the culture yet, um, had to take my son with me everywhere I went, whether that meant um, taking a bucket bath on the days that we did have water or go into the latrine or going to get food. I never got a break. And I realized that when our single moms, especially, come to the Hope Center, the circumstances are very similar. Um, they might have more comforts than what they do in the bush of Africa, but it's still a different culture. It's a different environment. It's a foreign land. And if there's any parents, single parents out there listening that have ever experienced a solid month without even a five-minute break from your child, you have a greater appreciation of those parents that you sometimes see in the grocery store or in the kitchen and main dining room of the rescue mission that are snapping at their kids. And a lot of people come into our dining hall, especially, and they'll see moms that just downright seem mean to their kids. And it's heartbreaking to watch. And you think, oh my goodness, how could anybody talk to their child like that or treat that child that way or say those words? But I got to learn as I was living in that foreign land, as I was experiencing what it's like to never have a minute to myself, even in the bathroom, mm -hmm. I had a greater understanding of how easy it is to come out of character, so to speak, and not necessarily say the things to your child that you know they need you're, to hear. You're worn out. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you're homeless, you're hungry, you're dirty, your children are not understanding what is going mm -hmm. on. A uh, child may not want to walk in dirt, mm -hmm. <laughs> or they may want to walk in dirt. Mm -hmm. you know, it could be going either way. Mm -hmm. And so you came back with, just a, as you said, greater empathy of what moms face. And uh, I remember when you we were looking at building another shelter, uh, one of the things that you said is we really have to do a better job here to minister to those moms and those children. Mm -hmm. So we began to um, create inside of this uh, new shelter that was going to shelter over 200 people a pretty good size uh, area for the children to be, uh, mm -hmm. a child care area. And fast-forwarding that story, uh, we felt like God said, don't build a shelter. Um, go into other neighborhoods and find out why there's homelessness. See what you can do to bring stabilization. And High Crest is where we landed. Mm -hmm. And um, But you came back and said, I think we're supposed to still do this child care area. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I remember saying, I don't think so. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, my side of that whole story is that uh, I told you no. And... Um, and uh, you did what you do very well as you prayed for conviction would come to my heart, and it did. And I remember coming back and and um, and saying to you, um, yeah, I think we are supposed to do that. And uh, it was never on my radar. It was never something that I thought we were supposed to do. And then you said, uh, I think it's supposed to be called the Children's Palace, which I thought was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> and um, But again, the Lord convinced me. And I said to you, why the palace? And I think this took a while for me to kind of sink in, as you said, because it needs to be a place that we can help the, the children and their parents understand that they are royalty, royalty and God's sight in ours as well. Because why? Why do we want to communicate that to them? Because they feel so disenfranchised. They, they're labeled. 
homeless, poor, stupid, um, you know, bums, whatever. And that gets translated down over generation after generation. And when I, when I remember hearing that, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what a transformational um, idea that is. And of course, today, if anybody's seen the Children's Palace, it looks like a palace. And uh, that is one of those things that God blessed us to be able to do so people could come in and see it. And so it opened about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And so talk about what you learned in regards to trauma intervention. Mm-hmm. Sure. As we were praying into what the palace should look like, both programmatically and then even architecturally, um, one of the things that I was very convicted of is that that theme of royalty was supposed to really be shown throughout everything that we said and did. Um, And that understanding of value, because as you said, when you're growing up in homelessness, when you're growing up in dysfunction, when you have that parent who is stressed out and maybe not treating you as kind as they probably want to in their heart because they're so overwhelmed with life, they're living in trauma, they're living in crisis, they're trying to figure out how to survive and keep you as their child alive, Um, you're hearing the opposite. You're hearing um, through that trauma and through that irritation from others around you, you're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. You're going to end up in jail. You're going to end up just like your dad or your uncle or whoever. And you begin to take on that identity. And what I believe the Lord shared was that that's not their true identity. Their true identity is royalty. Um, Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And if that's true, then that means that the children are little princes and little princesses. But our kids coming through the doors of the rescue mission are very rarely treated that way. They're used to secondhand everything. They're used to the hand-me-downs. They're used to um, the, the second best of everything. And I feel like God wanted to make a point with the palace to help not only the kids know you're worth something, but the parents too. I can't tell you how many times families walked into the palace for the first time and they were expecting um, the rescue mission in terms of um, just the way any rescue mission feels a little bit institutional out of necessity. And that's what they came into the palace feeling, but they walk in and it's bright and it's colorful and it's state of the art and everybody is welcoming them like they're part of the family. And it's been so overwhelming for those parents because it helps them to see, I can't believe that anybody would do this for me, that would take the time to do this for me. So as we got started and as we were developing the palace, I was introduced to um, something called TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention. And this is a evidence-based intervention that was developed by two doctors out of Texas Christian University. And um, I believe that it had to have been inspired by God. Um, Because what they have done is they have scientifically proven how we can help alter the brain structures that have been either damaged or slowed down or developed 
um, differently as a result of different traumas in their lives. And the most significant time frame that those traumas occur and reshape that brain are in those first five years. But we know that when we have parents or single individuals coming to the rescue mission as adults, whether they're 30, 40, 70, if they experience trauma in the course of their life that was never addressed through intervention, um, then they're not going to respond in a way your quote-unquote normal individual would respond. They have shown through these different studies that a person with unaddressed trauma could respond as much as half of their chronological age. So if you have a 25-year-old, um, they're going to be acting more like a teenager. If you have a 40-year-old, they're going to be acting more like a 20-year-old. If you have a 16-year-old, they're going to be responding more like an 8-year-old. And in order for us to really bring forth healing um, and get to that root cause of why maybe they've come to the rescue mission in the first place and why their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents came to the mission, we've got to get to that root of where did it begin. And for a lot of the adults we serve, over 2,000 a year, it started in childhood. So we were able to, for two and a half years, work with about 70 families, um, which is about 107 children. And we were able to learn more about how those traumas manifest in life and what are some interventions that we can do as a ministry to help bring healing. And these aren't fancy difficult interventions. These are about everyday interactions and how we work with the people in front of us. And it doesn't just work on people with trauma, so to speak. These are interventions that I utilize with my now eight-year-old. Um, and I try and utilize with my colleagues and my close work co-workers because it's all about relationship. And even though um, we're having some transitions within the ministry, I think that this season has all been for purpose because it is allowing us not only to go back to the core of hunger and homeless services through the rescue mission, but to do it in a new way where we can still bring transformation and help break that cycle of homelessness through the way that we are working with the individuals and families we serve. People have been talking about breaking the cycle of homelessness ever since I can remember, and, and, it, and it hasn't been broken. Um, the war on poverty is now well over 50 years old, and <clears throat> poverty still exists today. Um, fortunately, today we have science. We have an understanding of what happens to the brain. We have an understanding of how just shelter and just food does not solve the problem. Those are important. They're very essential. And the palace really created a, a new conversation in the community about how we can start as early as possible mm -hmm. and also work with parents at the same time who we wish we would have started earlier mm -hmm. to help them avoid the situations that they're in. You mentioned a transition in the ministry. Uh, this week it was announced that the palace is going to temporarily close mm -hmm. uh, due to funding issues. Uh, does that mean it's over? No way. No way. No way. So what does it mean? It means that we are going to begin to look for uh, taking what we've learned to as a reasonable amount of time frame to get it rebooted again, mm -hmm. to get up and running by the information that we've learned and also work with other partners mm -hmm. uh, to come along in this endeavor to start as early as we can. If we don't do this, uh, the results are going to be um, more homeless, mm -hmm. more suffering, more generations of people experiencing uh, the kind of devastation that's been going on for a very long time. Today in America, 
there is a homeless epidemic is what a lot of people are calling it, especially in the West Coast. It's called the West Coast Crisis. Um, and uh, we were um, able here to be noted that we're trying to do something to turn the tide here. Mm-hmm. actually got invited to the West Coast mm-hmm. uh, here not long ago to speak to some folks out there as well as across the entire country and into Canada in regards to some things that we've learned here. And so we really are on a journey here, um, and it's a temporary pause with the palace as we acquire additional funding to be able to open it back up. Um, but probably the next time we open it, we'll even be smarter right. about how we approach this. We know we have the human trafficking issue, and we have the brokenness and devastation of that. Uh, we have uh, many, many displaced children who they can't find homes for in foster care. Many different things that we're going to be looking at is how to repurpose the palace going forward. The good news is this, that um, the community and this time and this season that we're in has come forward and engrafted some additional monies into the rescue mission. But for a season, the Palace and Restore Hope, which are human trafficking intervention, will be moving to a different home at some point with some other organization. But the Palace and the Restore Hope intervening in human trafficking is as valuable today as it was the day before and will be valuable the next day. Jessica, going to have you back sometime. We want to dig further into the issues of trauma. I think that this is uh, uh, an issue that is uh, people are becoming aware of nationally. Um, people are becoming trauma-informed. Uh, that's good. But what you've learned through TBRI is trauma intervention. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you become informed and how you dive into that to help people to reboot their brain, yes. to be able to be healed? And it's exciting possibility that we have in this community to one day see many, many people understand that information and move forward. Yes. If you're going to share um, anything about the future of the palace um, to anybody that's listening to this, uh, understanding that uh, this week in the front page of the newspaper mm-hmm. it talked about a closure, what would you say? I would say God is not done. And um, This has all been for purpose. The past two and a half years have been for purpose. I think when we opened, we thought it was solely for the purpose of helping the children that come through the doors of the rescue mission. I believe that through what we have learned, the Lord has allowed us to see that breaking the cycle of homelessness goes beyond just the kids and families that are staying at the rescue mission And that he is using this time of transition to really fine-tune what he's known all along was the primary purpose. And I believe that we will reopen. I believe that when we do, we will likely look different than what we've done in the past. But I do believe that it will be a good different that's going to make an even greater impact on the children and the families that come through the doors, um, and it's going to be transformational. Jessica Hossman, Director of Trauma-Based Initiatives in the Children's Palace at Topeka Rescue Mission. We're thankful that God uh, brought you out of Africa and (laughs) brought you to Topeka, Kansas. And uh, thank you for sharing with us today. More to come on this. Uh, Thank you for being part of our community, our mission today. If you would like to support the Topeka Rescue Mission, you can do that by going to our website, at trmonline.org, trmonline.org, and there's a button that you can give to. As well as if you've got your phone, you can text TRMGIVE to 77977. Text TRMGIVE to 77977. Thank you for being a part of our community, our mission. We'll be back next week.